Today's show is brought to you by LootCrate.com. Save 10% on any new subscription at www.trylootcrate.com slash holybackboard. Enter promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get to bumping, cause it's real play the time. Baby, Rip City's jumping now! Okay, Brandle up the middle. Hey! Oh, Come on, everybody. All right, everybody, welcome to the 80th edition of the Holy Back Podcast. I am Dustin. Here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, chilling in Southern Oregon, about ready to get this draft podcast started. Real excited. Part one of two. Exactly. And, I mean, like, I was watching, I was watching that finals, and it was just straight dog shit, so I just, I just was preparing more for this show, man. That That's more entertaining than the game that was just on TV. Yeah, NBA playoff basketball dead the moment the Lakers got eliminated from the playoffs. And usually I'll continue to tune in, but there were so many terrible series. Um, really, only a couple of memorable performances. Isaiah Thomas really was the story of the playoffs for me, whether it was overcoming you know, the death of a sister, to scoring 51, getting his tooth knocked out. Uh, he was overarching story. I think Marcus Gasol hit a game winner in like game four of the first round playoffs or, or something like that. But other than that, I mean... LeBron's been amazing, but he's not getting any help. And the Warriors, they're just too good. And mm-hmm. it, it's completely ruining the game of basketball. The competitive balance is is not there. Uh, I decided to watch The Goonies over, over that game, a movie that is 32 years old, the, the, the same age as myself, a movie that I've seen countless times. It was on TV, so I had to deal with commercials, but I explicitly chose that. I, I made a decision, and I stuck with it to watch that over the finals. A finals that was supposed to be, you know, the the third, you know, the trilogy, you know, the rubber match, you know, Cavs Warriors Part Three, and you know, you remember all of the finals growing up as a kid, and even recent ones. I chose to watch a movie that was 32 years old, other than the finals, because I'm sick and tired of the fucking Golden State Warriors. They have ruined basketball. Yeah, and it'll probably be that way unless Kevin Durant or one of those dudes decides, hey, this isn't fun anymore. They can stay together forever. Unless somebody gets gets hurt, unless somebody gets their feelings hurt and wants more shots and wants to go elsewhere, or unless they just get bored. Other than that, I mean, we've already got Durant saying he's going to take less money so they can bring the whole team back. Um, I honestly don't know, and we're not going to talk about this whole lot, but it really ties into where we're going with this. But I honestly don't know how it's actually fun for them. Maybe this first one will be. But if they go on to sweep the playoffs, the team, the first time that um, it would have ever happened in NBA history, I think they would have won like 32 of their last 33 games, something just sickening like that. Like It's like the dream team out there. And it's like Jerry West was interviewed in an article for ESPN the other day, and it was either ESPN or CNN, excuse me. Um, and he was like, I wanted to leave the Western Conference Finals. I, I couldn't because I'm a member of the management staff, but it was boring. I felt bad for our fans. Uh, we were favored by 15 points in a Western Conference Finals game. Like, that's never happened. And, well, I just wanted to sit there and tell him, you brought this on yourself by pursuing Kevin Durant, a, a former MVP in his prime, a team coming off a historical 73-win season. Uh, you were one game away from a, a back-to-back championships. Of course it was going to be boring. Like, what is going through your mind? Like, you brought this on yourself, so now we're in this, this shitstorm of no parity, no competitive balance. And like you said, here we are. 
uh, we're talking draft because you, everyone sees this. The Warriors are all in their prime. They're all under 30. The draft is where you win now. It, it, you win, you're looking five, six, seven years in advance. If your team's like Portland, if you're a team like uh, Minnesota, you know, you're, you're a younger team. Um, you're trying to Denver, like you're, you're okay now, but you've really got no shot. Mm-hmm. You really need to keep your core together that you have, lock them up, which Portland has done and utilize a lot of assets. And the draft is probably the best asset because historically Portland does not attract free agents as we are all aware of, but we do hit in the draft, especially Neil Olshay's track record is pretty, pretty outstanding. And you can get mad at him at all you want and criticize a lot of his free agent, you know, targets or, or trades um, for his signings, his re-signings, but the draft is where he, I think, has has made his hit his mark, especially here in Portland, getting us to the second round of the playoffs two times um, in the past uh, four seasons. So Sage, when you're loaded in a draft, you've got three of the top 26 picks, and what is being called one of the deepest drafts, maybe in, in I want to say five, five to eight years. 2012 was really good um, up top, but it didn't have the depth. 2008 was really solid. So 2008 was probably like the last, I think, amazing draft. You've got guys like Serge Ibaka and Nick Batum that went in the deep 20s. So Portland is loaded with these three picks. And I know a lot of people have talked about packaging those picks to shed salary. Absolutely not. If we don't get anything back, I don't I don't really want to trade our guys. But if we get a positive asset back in return, I'm totally into it. But to save salary, we're so in debt. It I mean it'll it help. Does, it it doesn't matter. Yeah. Our owner can pay the repeater sacks. I'm not really worried about that. So let's improve the team, not make it worse by trying to get rid of these assets. Exactly. I know people might say, well, it's addition by subtraction. Well, we're not good enough that addition by subtraction makes any difference. I mean, we're talking about getting out of the luxury tax, but like you mentioned, Paul Allen is one of the richest men in the world. He's the only one that has to be responsible for this luxury tax. It doesn't penalize any fan, myself, you, doesn't penalize the players, the fans, nobody. He is the only one that has to cut that check. And if he's okay with it, then we're fine. I I just think that using an asset such as a draft pick to shed salary to get us under a luxury tax would frankly be idiotic. And I, I would love to hear some reasoning behind, you know, people's thoughts on why it would be a positive because we would be nowhere near getting salary cap space. And again, Sage, if we get salary cap space, who is coming? We thought last year, you know, second round playoff appearance, Damian Lillard coming out with an article about him being an inclusive leader, people wanting to play with him. Uh, Neil O'Shea being a player's GM, we didn't have we were we were the bridesmaid to to uh, Chandler Parsons and Hassan Whiteside dodge the Parsons bullet, but then we ended up with Evan Turner, who we definitely had to overpay to get a a bench player. We had to overpay to get a bench player to Portland. Like let that sink in a little bit because even if we have cap space, nobody's going to come here. And I understand having you know financial flexibility to take on contracts, but I would rather be able just to draft the guy now than to go through all those loops and hoops just to be able to take on salary to get a, a pick, like be in the other position. When in the next, fuck, 10 years, because we're assuming Dame resides and CJ resides. When in the next 10 years, 
are we going to be in the position with three picks? In or a great draft. In a great in draft. In a great draft. When in the last, in the next 10 years, do you see us trading, or get, having three picks to play with? If we trade two for an actual player, that's gravy, and I trust trust what what Neil has. And But this is the chance for us to make some noise. And this is the one chance I think I can see of us doing something big with these three assets. I think trading them away to shed salary is on the most bottom of the list. I completely agree. I mean, it definitely should be taken into consideration, but it's like plan Z. Yeah, it's, it's got to, it, it, to me, it's not even an option. I, I sit there and I eat the contract because even Myers or Alan Crabb or Evan Turner you know, it's, they're not long-term deals like they used to be when you used to hand out six- and seven-year deals. They only have three years left. I know that sounds like a lot, but but it really isn't. And once you get them down to a two-year deal, that's a very easy, movable contract. Um, Evan Turner is still a good player. He's, he's overpaid, of course, but he's still a good player. If you can Alan, find the team for him, he is a very good player. It may or may not be with us, but for a certain team, Evan Turner could be a very nice asset. An overpaid asset, but a nice one. And so speaking of contracts, the first real, I think, draft rumor for Portland came out earlier this week. Um, The Knicks interested in acquiring multiple draft picks. Portland obviously has three. I think the Nets were mentioned in there as well. Uh, Sage, what do you you make of those rumors? Um, They've already said they have plans to kind of table those discussions until they get closer to the draft, which is, you know, 18 days away from this recording. Uh, do you make anything of it? Do you think it's um, just a bunch of smoke? Because to me, Neil O'Shea rumors getting leaked, that seems That doesn't very, happen. That, that doesn't, doesn't happen at all. No. And who, 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 who predicted the... Nurkic? Who predicted Nurkic for playing no a first? Nobody predicted that. They came out of the blue. It so was who, all Jalil who, Okafor. Who was, the guy, who, who was the source that leaked it? Do you know, like, was Sean, it Stein? Sean Devaney from the Sporting News. And then it was um, confirmed by ESPN. I feel like Neil is way more loyal to Woj. Because he appears on his podcast. I feel like they would have a better working relationship than just some random people on the internet and then confirmed by ESPN. So I don't really take those into consideration when it's not Woj as a source just because of the relationship those two have built. I mean, the entire Blazers staff has been on that man's podcast. That is who I would imagine the the news would get leaked to. Yeah, and, you know, looking at it, I definitely don't think Portland's looking to trade a salaried contract for, you know, for cap relief and giving a pick in in return or giving a pick as incentive. How I interpret that as, and I, you know, I've been, you know, scouring the message boards, picking up kind of thoughts, and what really made the most sense to me is, especially since they're tabling these just these discussions, Portland looking to trade 15 and another draft pick to maybe move up to eight. Is there is there a player at eight that that might fall to them that they're really targeting and it would give the Knicks two picks instead of one? Um, that makes the most sense in, in kind of my eyes. If there's a guy that they're looking to move up, Sacramento's another team that has multiple draft picks that they could move. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts in, in the draft. And I know a lot of mocks are, are pretty chalk right now, I think, and what I mean by that is it feels like whether it's Chad Ford or or Draft Express, whenever they release a mock draft, you look across the rest of the internet and they all kind of mimic each other. They all kind of 
fall in that, that same vein. There's not a lot of crazy mocks out there right now, which is a little surprising. And it seems like, you know, they're kind of falling, falling in order. You, you have the risers, you have the fallers, but, um, they really don't start taking on a a persona of their of their own until maybe like a day or two before the draft. Yeah, it's way early to be thinking of what the Blazers or any team is going to do in this draft. It's just far too early. Yeah, it makes no sense for Neil to say, "Yeah, let, let's move up to number eight. You don't know who's going to be at number eight. Like somebody uh, could, like Dennis Smith could all of a sudden start rising back up the board. Zach Collins could say, "Oh, I have a promise at a team at number seven. Um, or a guy like Jason Tatum or Jonathan Isaac could all of a sudden drop. Um, it wouldn't make sense to get kind of pigeonholed into the eighth spot right now. Yeah, you if, want as much flexibility as humanly possible. It's If you want to make that trade, do it at the last possible moment, not super early. What if a better trade arises? You know, I know for a fact that the, the Pelicans had a deal with Dwight for, for the Hawks for Dwight Howard. That was going to happen. But that boogie trade came uh, during the All-Star game. Do you really think trades like that don't happen right before the draft? Got to be patient with all of these trades, all of these rumors. Take them with a grain of salt. Look who actually sources all of these trades. A lot of it is is hype. Yeah, and it's fans that are excited. You get agents leaking stuff. You get teams, you know, saying they're targeting on one prospect when they're secretly meeting with another. Um, it's one big game of chess. Um, you're trying to out, you know, outflank, outflank your your um, opposing GMs. Um, you've got agents who have an agenda. I, the the most crazy draft story that I remember was the 2012 draft, and all of a sudden Dion Waiters has a first round promise. Like, okay, cool, it's probably somewhere, you know, in the teens. All of a sudden you hear it's the lottery, and it's like the high lottery, and like. He did not do a damn thing, and his stock went from like the twenties. He got picked like fourth. Yeah, and he was a he was a six man on his Syracuse. He was a six man on Syracuse. Yeah, got, I remember like, shit. He got drafted by the Cavaliers, and just like that was the most insane hype machine I'd ever heard. Because up to that point, I don't think he had warranted top five draft status. I mean, you look at his career; it definitely didn't earn number five uh, overall status. Or number four overall status, excuse me, but... I mean, you can pick the sixth man on a good team. I mean, just think. Atlanta did it uh, for uh, Marvin, Deion Waiters. You just got to take those chances when they're offered to you, man. I remember James Michael McAdoo was uh, going to be the first overall pick if he left school his rookie year, or freshman year. A lot of hype. You got to take everything with a grain of salt. Don't get too high or too low on these rumors. And that's where it kind of comes into this episode. So Portland obviously has three picks, 15, 20, and 26. Uh, Sage and I, we are going to break them down into two two draft episodes. This is our first draft episode. We're going to talk each two prospects deep for 15 and 20 this episode. Next episode, we're going to go into number 26. And then if we moved up, who would we target? So these are kind of how we're going to break down our draft episodes, and then we're going to record immediately after the draft on June 22nd, kind of get our, our knee-jerk reaction on how it went down. It's shaping up to be a very eventful night. It always is for the Trailblazers. Um, what's crazy, though, Sage, is we haven't really had a pick in forever. We didn't have one in 2014. That was due to the Gerald Wallace trade, which got us Damian Lillard. Worth or, it. Excuse me. That was the yeah, follow, wasn't it? No. Trying to think. No, it was the Gerald Wallace trade. We had to give up a pick 
Amherst Billa that year in a future pick to get Gerald Wallace. We, we flipped Wallace into Dame. But yes, we, di- we didn't have a pick in 2016 due to the Aflalo trade. In 2015, we traded Hollis Jefferson. We actually had a pick for Mason Plumley. Um, so our last first-round draft pick we took was in 2013, C.J. McCollum. It's, it's a great pick, but it, Sage, it's been a long fucking time. And it's still pretty incredible if you think about it like that. 2013 was the last time we actually made a draft selection and he, he stuck on the roster. We're still the youngest team in the NBA. So I understand people saying let's not get more more youthful. But on the other hand, you're watching the Warriors in these playoffs. Don't try to win now. Unless you can trade all three picks for Paul George in some type of, of deal like that where you add George to this core, try to find players that can complement your squad now because I think with a healthy Nurk, Dame and CJ, you've got your big three. You've just, we obviously have some holes and I think it really starts up front and I think it's defensively. I think those are the big holes for the Trailblazers and we are going to dive in and see where, if we can address some of those needs, Sage, or if we're going to take best player available. But how this is going to work, we'll start at pick 15. Uh, my man and I, we took two prospects each. We'll kind of go back and forth. We'll play devil's advocate a little bit, say what we like about them. Uh, what we don't like, and you know, kind of the possibility uh, of how they would fit in Rip City. Uh, Sage, do you want to kick it off with your first prospect? Player out of Wake Forest named John Collins has been a very consistent scorer. And when you look at Tankathon, he goes to the Nuggets. If you look at Draft Express, he's in the 15, 16, 17 range. Offensively, in the post, he fills a lot of our needs a secondary post guy someone who has a great motor another pick and roll guy great at catching lobs moves his feet well just super athletic is a, that super athletic big and that's something i've focused with with all of the research that i've done i've done a lot of i don't have a uh, guard on this episode so it's all bigs so i think that we got to find the niche for pick-and-roll guy, someone very athletic, and can get rebounds. That's John Collins. He can do all that stuff. He has a lot of holes in his game. But at 15, we're not getting that perfect prospect. We're getting a guy with holes. So it's really determining what holes we can deal with, what our other superstars can hide from his game. John Collins is a guy that the perfect scenario for us is we get Zebo to teach him how to use his skills, because I don't think there's many guys with that type of skill set. Post guy screens extremely well. That's what Zebo used to do. So if we can find Zebo to mentor him, that's where I get a little concerned about a John Collins type. I'm not worried about his wingspan being only 6'11 compared to his 6'9 frame. I think wingspan and those type of intangibles, when they're used as a negative, are kind of meaningless to me. Because I look at a guy like Zach Randolph. I, I look at a guy like Andre Miller, who don't have the best measurables, who don't jump off the charts at, at a combine scenario. They're not going to star in a one-on-none workout. They know how to play basketball. Um, so I'm not worried about his intangibles. Um, defensively. Um, that's where if, it's uh, the worry. And by that's... reading the scouting reports. Yeah, it does seem like they said he looked hopelessly lost. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're Portland and you already 
you're you're weak in the backcourt defensively. I think we all can say that. As much as we love Damon CJ, we're weak in the backcourt. Collins, I think he's young. He's only 20 years old. He's a sophomore. I think he can become a better defender. Like you said, it's never going to be his calling card. But when I watched him, he just he kind of played a little bit. And I, I'll bring this back like Michael Beasley. And I, mm-hmm. I make this comparison because Michael Beasley scored a lot of points in the post. And he did it by dominating smaller players and just turning and scoring over them. I saw a lot of that when I watched John Collins, um, especially in his in his uh, recap performances. He would just kind of turn and go, and like that's where he's going to have to, you know, butter his bread in the NBA. And I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. C- could he be a Zach Randolph type? Yes, but I-, I would be. I wouldn't hate the John Collins pick because he did perform so well, and I think I believe he was the Atlantic Coast Conference Player of the Year, but. There are a lot of glaring concerns that 15 would, I would probably be, that's a little high for me. That's fair enough. But when you have the imagery of Nurk and John Collins setting screens for Dame, that just opens up the offense so much because that dude laid the lumber on pick and roll and had the athleticism to get to the hoop and slam it on people. There are a lot of good things about him. There are a lot of bad things about him. But that's what prospects are at this. There's no perfect prospect at 15. Defensively, he worries me. But he's more hyped than the guy I truly love at this spot. So I thought I would give him a first go. But he can definitely do some things with Dame. I could see the vision of him working with this team. It might be as a gritty set screens dunk it guy to start. And then once we get some people to help him develop, become an NBA pro, I think we just need a vet. Maybe not Zebo, but he is the most likely vet. Question for you and anybody else out there. If Portland is taking a power forward, you have to keep in mind, especially high. If at 15, I'm still considering the lottery. It might as well be the lottery. You're taking a guy at 15. Can he beat out Noah Vonley? I just don't think if we're going to take a power forward, that we have to be certain that he's either better than Vonley or he's going to push Noah. Because at 15, we either need to find, um, I think, a backup center. And, and I know I'm talking about backups when I'm saying, can he beat out Vonley? But Nurk is cemented. We obviously saw that was a hole as a backup center, or can we get wing help? We mm-hmm. really need, I think, help at the three. And I just think Von Ley is just so young. He's like 21, 22. Is, is this guy going to be better than Noah? And I think that's a fair comparison for any small forward we draft because Von Ley would be a senior coming out mm-hmm. into the draft class this year. I think that him as a prospect is different than Noah. Their skill sets are a lot different. I think Noah's more of a finesse big, where John Collins is way more of a Power, power. I th- I could see him being our small ball five on certain occasions, but I think regardless, he's pushing Noah to be better, and I think that is a a thing. They're definitely different, but he'll he'll get the job done. And so we're talking about John Collins from Wake Forest, prospect, more offense and defense. Well, one of my guys at number fifteen, OG. And Anobi out of Indiana is the complete opposite. This guy is a defensive beast mm-hmm. um, and just needs a little bit of refinery on his offensive game. He's never going to be, I think, a two-way star. 
I think you're looking at a, a 3 and D type of prospect. Uh, with OG, you don't want him dribbling the ball. He, you don't want him creating your own offense. You really just want him running the floor, filling that lane, throwing it down, and spotting up and shooting. But I think when you have an offensive formula like Portland does where Damon CJ can create their own shot, they can play off the ball, and you have a big body that you can dump it to down low in Nurkic, I don't think we necessarily need guys who are going to be able to create their own shots, especially coming out of the draft. Uh, I think a reason why um, OG is listed around 15 in a lot of mock drafts, I believe right now Draft Express does have him going to Portland at 15, is because he did tear the ACL in January. So he's still rehabbing right now. Uh, he's a sophomore, uh, 6'8". What I love about this dude, he's about, like I said, 6'8". His wingspan is 7'2". And I love wingspan when we're talking positive, especially for defensive you know, specialist because he's able to get out there and he looks like a fucking hawk. I mean, you look, what makes Kawhi Leonard so special? Obviously, it's the instincts, but he has the largest hands I think I've seen on any man and his wingspan is just inhuman. Like, he looks like a character out of Marvel, just a beast. And that's kind of what you can see in OG. I don't think he's ever going to be Kawhi Leonard. Like, let's kind of make that clear right now. I think OG in the perfect scenario is Al Camino under control. And I think that's a very valuable player to have because he can play amazing defense and you just want him shooting threes or you just want him spotting up. Aminu, on the other hand, he kind of gets reckless. He dribbles the ball. He tries to create his own offense. But we're looking at a guy who, when he was healthy, he was shutting down Jamal Murray his freshman year. Um, I believe he had, he was playing a lot of great games. Um, uh, excuse me. Indiana went five and nine after he injured his, his knee. And I don't think they, they, they did, in fact, miss the NCAA tournament. So this is a guy who might not be able to play right away, but if you can get past the knee, and I think one ACL, it's okay. I mean, it's not like Harry Giles, who's had multiple injuries on, on both knees. I think he's a type of, of risk that Portland's going to have to take, and we're going to touch on this throughout both pods about the draft is – Portland's going to have to kind of go the Milwaukee route, I think, and take a lot of home run swings. You have three chances. You may only connect once, but if you connect, it's, I mean, you look at Giannis, and then they did the, the, the next couple years, they did it last year with Thon Maker. Um, small market teams really have to scout well in the draft. If you're going to take a polished player, you have to make sure it's, it's there, like a CJ McCollum, because, like, you just miss on that, that, that Giannis, like that Giannis and those Kawhis, like they're, they're out there. Um, and especially in this part of the draft, you're not going to get, a, like you said, a polished product like, like Markel Fultz or Josh Jackson. They're, they're just not there. They're going to be a guy who's great at one thing and, and not super good at another. And I think that's another thing to, when you're looking at prospects, a lot of them aren't going to be two way. They're not going to be completely well rounded. What skill set do they have? Can they become a specialist one? Because you're probably looking at role players, maybe a better role player, a 3 and D, a starter at this point in the draft. Are they a specialist? Can that specialist live in that skill set in the NBA? And does that skill set translate? When I'm looking at, at, at collegiate players, rebounding and defense are the two things um, that almost automatically translate. Um, Dewan Blair, Paul Millsap, Kenneth Freed, all prospects I was wanting Portland to pick with just every ounce of my body. And that's because they led the, the NCAA in rebounds. 
that's just one skill set that, that just translates. And they were all probably a little bit older guys. Dewan Blair, they said he had no ACLs. He had a really good career for where he was taken. Absolutely. My, my thing with OG is just with the history of the Blazers, how injuries is such a big factor. Are they really willing to take a risk on a guy who fits, our, fits what we need pretty well? but also has those injury issues. I mean, there's just one issue though. Just one. Yeah. Like, and I don't think we can be, we can't be that scared though. Like OG is not Greg Oden. He's not Sam Bowie. I mean, the, I think that he is, if he is there, he is our pick without a doubt. And it's tough for me to argue with bigs that have one humongous thing wrong with their game. If OG's on the board, it's who it's who we're taking. But the thing that will give, I guess, Blazer fans pause is definitely the injury issues. I think everything, like, we could work part of his game. He's not the best passer, but he's got skills that NBA players, like, that's what some players are built on. He has some, you talked about he, you don't want him dribbling, but if it's a straight line... Oh, yeah, he, 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 he can do that. So he has skills offensively, defensively, but he can be that defensive star that we basically been begging for. You've been begging for. And you also have to look at prospects, what they do well. Uh, when I think it was Stu Inman really wanted Jerome Kersey in, in 80, I think it was 85. Damn, he was, didn't he put together the uh, 77 team too? Yeah, he was the architect. He, was, he, he had a, some longevity. And so you look at, and they said they wanted Jerome because he was an athlete. They said he couldn't really play basketball that great coming out of Longwood. But what he did is they brought him in and they let their the coaches coach him up. And he had a, a motor that you just can't teach. Mm-hmm. Now, OG doesn't have that motor yet. Scouts have kind of... Um, what I'm reading on Draft Express, they, they want him to play with that more aggression. Yeah, on, he kind of isn't kinda the most consistent with the motor. But yeah, but that's a skill, though, man. That's a skill. And I think you get a guy like Damian Lord in that locker room. Um, we're a young team. We get up and down in that break. We start getting some transition buckets. I think, you, you know, you start to start to breed that. You start to – it's a culture here in Portland. You play hard. Our fans cheer hard. Our players play hard. You know, rarely did we come on this podcast the past two years and bitch about the effort. Maybe one or two times. It, it doesn't really happen. So we need guys that are going to bring it. I just love the fact that we could get, um, you know, we've talked about adding a 3 and D guy. Damari Carroll, Jay Crowder. This is the easiest way for Portland to get it is to draft one. And what wins championships? Defense. Um, especially, I know we're going to talk about this a lot, but the Warriors, how do you stop them? You have to play, you have to be a really great defensive team. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that is right up there. You're not going to be able to outscore them. You've got to be able to put the clamps down on them as much as possible, and you need players who can guard more than one position. He's got the ability to guard, what, one through three easily? One through four, probably. I could see him playing some uh, small ball four. I mean, if people loved Nick Batum when we drafted him, I think you're going to kind of see the same thing, but even a better defensive defensive uh, prowess. I think Nick Batum reminds me of more smooth. OG has this 
athletic ability that is just so powerful. Raw. raw powerful and raw that I don't think Nick Batum could have the could possess even in his best day. It's just the athleticism of OG is something that I could just see Dame loving because of back cut alley oops. I know the Blazers love having back cuts because we see Aaron Crabb get layups off of it. Could you imagine Dame or CJ throwing that oop to OG and the crowd going wild because he throws it down? I can. Yeah. And so, I love it. But yeah, you're right. They're different players, but I meant in the, in the sense of in Batum's early days when we needed to, we put him on Tony Parker. We put him on Chris Paul. He was able to defend them. And in his early days, he was kind of just a spot-up shooter. So in that sense, that's where I was kind of getting that. But you're right. Batum was more cool, smooth, finesse. Raw, OG is definitely raw power, just kind of strength. So we, we've touched on, on uh, you know, John Collins and, and OG uh, and Unobi. Sage, who is your second prospect at number 15? The person that I've had the man crush as, of, of a draft prospect has been Justin Patton. Because I love the way that he uses his athleticism to be the first man down on the floor. He has great hands. So when he gets the ball, he can put it in the basket. And he has defensive versatility, which our guards aren't that great. So if they funnel it into him, he can potentially block it. But what I think is pretty fascinating about him, he can block shots. But he can also defend the pick and roll really well because he uses his athleticism to flat to, to hedge to switch. Just having that ability, if it was a Patton, Noah, or three whoever three guards, we can potentially switch on every possession. So Justin Patton has a skill set that Dame could utilize. He passes surprisingly well for how sorta of raw he is offensively and. I know that's a thing with the guy you're going to talk about at 20. Just the ability to pass. Once a, when a center is at the top of the key, and we've seen it with Jokic, we've seen it with Bill Walton, that just generates space for cutters. And having players like Mo Harkless, who has an amazing motor, cut off of Justin Patton pass, I think it it would be beautiful. The one knock on him, he isn't a good rebounder and kind of gets bullied. But yeah, six six boards per game in, in twenty six minutes. It, not great, especially um, especially playing at Creighton, where you know he should get almost all those boards. But guess who he's gonna have to play against in practice every fucking day? Nurk. He's either gonna make or break him. That's gonna add t- if everything goes right. He's gonna add toughness, and he isn't gonna get bullied because he get he gets bullied in in practice. He isn't gonna let some random big take advantage of him. But just the way that he moves, again, pick and roll, dunking, tip dunks, all of this athleticism for a big dude who's only 20, it's pretty pretty awesome to think about. I think if we would have been talking about this pick prior to Nurk and Mason Plumley was a free agent we were discussing about maybe bringing him back or not. I think Patton would have been a lot higher on my list because I think of the bigs available, he's the most skilled offensively. Absolutely. I think I think he has a lot of potential to be a pretty dominant big down low. Um he uses his body well. He is actually like you said a pretty decent athlete mm. and actually can hit 
a mid-range or even extend his range, which also will create space. And he's got a nice touch touch around the hoop. Um, he is, a, you know, he did average one and a half blocks a game uh, at, at Creighton. So, but then we brought Nurk in, and I feel like we have that offense kind of locked down. So that's the only reason he's he's dropped a little bit. I definitely wouldn't be mad if we took Patton. Um, I think he's, I know what we'll say this in, in the mock draft sense as it, as it means nothing, anything, it doesn't mean anything. Mock drafts really don't mean anything, but he's fallen a little bit. I think he might be available at 20. Well, I, I think the combine was the thing that made him drop because he didn't have the impressive numbers, which is pretty strange because when you watch game tape and when you watch what he can do on the court, he's, he's very athletic, but in those drills, for whatever reason, he just wasn't moving the way he should have. No, and you can't teach size too. Like he's he's seven foot and he's seven three wingspan. He's got a good frame to him. Two thirty is nothing to scoff at. Like he looks like he has room to add ten to fifteen pounds and really be a big body uh, down low. And he came out of nowhere, Sage. I think he said uh, the the articles I'm reading. He had one division scholarship offer. It was to Creighton. He redshirted. So you're looking at you're looking at almost like a Hassan Whiteside case where he was at Marshall. He came out of nowhere, and he, Hassan, in Hassan's case, he was blocking shots left and right. Um, he ended up getting drafted, and we know his story, but it's kind of a similar thing where Patton, all of the high school scouts missed on him, and maybe that's something that he can take with him. That West the, the, the chip on the shoulder. I mean, the chip on your shoulder. Who, who, needs who guys on that, like that? Who, like, out of the core players on our team, everybody has that. Dame, 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 yeah, like all of them have that chip. All of them have been wronged in their opinion. Justin Patton only having one D1 scholarship, that's going to motivate him. I mean, he wasn't told at a very young age or that he's excellent. He doesn't need to work hard. He's going to grind for our team, and that's what makes me excited about him. He has that want and desire to succeed. And, um, you know, reading the scouting reports on him, his numbers tailed off once his point guard got hurt. Um, so he is a, a not a byproduct of a, of a system, but he is the type of player that relies on others to put him in the right position. So he's not going to be like Hanakim Olajuwon where you dump it into him and he goes to work. He's going to need to work in the pick and roll, get the pick and pop, you know, have the, the, the ball handler find the mismatch on him down low, put him in positions to succeed. Um, I would say much like we do Nurkic. I, I don't think Nurk's at that spot yet where you just dump it into him and let him go. He has I a mean, couple- how, many, how many bigs in today's game have the ability to just you force it into him and he's going to get buckets? Not many. Maybe Cousins and Gasol, but even then, they pale in comparison to the Ewings, the Robinsons, the Olajuwans. The, it's, the a, it's, a, it's a different game, man. The different skill set. It's very tough to get. Thankfully for Portland, I think Nurkic is getting there. But even then, like he really relies on guys putting the ball in the right position. So um, that's something to think about when you're looking at Patton. And can Portland kind of hone that skill set for him? And you're looking at him probably playing in the second unit. So you know, you've got, a, I would say, a young veteran in Shabazz Napier. He played four years at UConn, won that national championship. Played really well when given the opportunity. And he knows when to find his own guys and when to get his own look. So I don't think that should be a problem in Stotts, by all accounts, has been a great players coach and knows how to work to his players' strength. So whether it's 15 or 20, I think we're definitely on on the same path that Portland 
needs to get a big man. And I think, thankfully for Portland, there's a plethora of bigs in this draft, and it wouldn't be drafting for need. You'd be getting the best player available. Uh, maybe one of my best players available, and I would hope he'd be available at 20, um, but I, I'm not. I'm putting him at 15 now because he's such a raw prospect. But Ike Anabogu from, from UCLA, the freshman, who was part of that that trio really with uh, TJ Leaf and Lonzo Ball that resurrected that that Bruin program. I believe they were like 15 and 17 last year, and then they were at one time the the number two or number three team in the nation. And what I love about Anabogu, and again I'm going to talk about this, the fucking wingspan. He's six nine, six ten. He has a six or seven six wingspan. I mean, we're looking at a defensive monster. Uh, the guy averaged a block, a block and a half, in only like thirteen minutes. Like he came off the bench. He's very raw in the ultimate sense of didn't get a ton of playing time, but the tools are there. Sage, he's got everything you would want. He's not going to be an offensive player. I mean, you're never going to give him the ball down low and, and try to let him go to work. He's not going to really shoot jump shots. He is in there to block shots, rebound, and be your defensive anchor. And I think that's what we need, Sage. Like, we have Nurkic, and when Nurkic went out, the team completely collapsed because it was it was a sieve. Everyone was living in the paint against us. We've talked about this on, I think, last, last episode, uh, the Throwback Thursday. The Trailblazers are great when they play defense. All former elite Blazer teams played great defense. We need to address defense in this draft, whether you know it's at 15, 20, or 26, or all three. I want to see us become a lockdown defensive team. There's no reason we can't with the assets that we have, the youth that we have. I know we're never going to be elite in the backcourt, but that doesn't mean your, your, front, your, your, uh, your front court can't be elite. I mean, Damon Stoudemire was never a great defender. Steve Smith was never a great defender. But why was that 2000s Blazers team so special? You had Savas, you had Jermaine O'Neal, you had Brian Grant, you had Rasheed Wallace, you had Stacey Ogman, you had Scottie Pippen. You're three through five, just shutting it down. And I think you're starting to see some of that in, in Nurkic and Von Ley. But they need help, Sage. I mean, Aminu. But it just can't be them and it can't be one guy on, on, on any given night. It's got to be a cohesive unit. And that's why I really love love Ike. You know, like I said, I'd love to get him at 20, but I've seen him go as high as 15. Um, scouts are gonna fall in love with the wingspan, and just I, somebody um, wrote that his frame reminds them of, of a young Alonzo Mourning. And I know he's never gonna be Alonzo Mourning, but if he could be a Dikembe Mutombo defensive type player, that that changes things. I think. Basketball's kind of gone away uh, of the big man, but if you can bring it back, then you have the advantage because you have something that nobody else really has. Everybody else is trying, like you said, go to the skill ball, but if you can win games going down low with, with a Nurkic and then you bring, you take him out and then you're like, okay, defensively, we're not losing a step. That's where Portland's second unit can really start to thrive. Think of the block shots that lead to the transition buckets that lead to the fans going crazy. Well, I mean, when you look at the Blazers team this year, like, our starting five would get us a lead, and then we'd lose it because our defense sucked. We couldn't get us, we couldn't start an offense because we had so many ball dominant players on that second unit. So if we could have a guy that is just a defensive specialist and can be the anchor of the defense, and he's that, only eight, eighteen, he's one of the youngest players in college basketball, and I, I just don't think I can stress that enough when. 
you're looking 10 years from now, he's not even going to be in his prime. And I know that's a long-term investment, but to win and win big in the NBA, you have to think long-term. Look at the Miami Heat. You don't think they woke up one day and said, oh, we all of a sudden have, have cap space. Let's go out and get Chris Bosh and you know, LeBron James. No, they created that space. They thought ahead. They knew when that summer of 2010 was coming. Portland needs to think long to the Yes, you want to win with Dame. I completely agree with that. We don't want to be tanking or any of this bullshit next year. But at the same time, you need to find prospects who are going to, you know, they have room to grow. They have room to take this franchise and keep it going, you know, because we don't want the team just to fall back into the dark ages once Dame and CJ fall off. You want it to continue to go. And that's the Spurs, that's the Spurs model. I know it's a very difficult model to to emulate, but it's something that all GMs and, and managements and front offices should strive for. And like I said, I just think block shots and rebounding are a skill that translates. He's a specialist. Um, there's no doubt about that. But the NBA, you're either really a superstar or you're a specialist. I mean, that's what it's come down to if you look at it. He's a center. I, you know, he, he yeah. wasn't featured as much as, you know, the 15th or 20th pick should be. So he's a he's a center. He's a potential pick. Yeah. I mean, we, we low talked risk, about home potentially runs. high reward. Exactly. We talked about home runs early on this. You know, Milwaukee did it. I think Portland's going to have to swing for the fences a, a couple of times in this draft, especially mm-hmm. if they keep all three picks or if they move up. I mean, regardless, you're taking a young player. I mean, freshmen and sophomores dominate this draft unless you're going into the second round, which I do love a lot of prospects in the second round. Oh, but yeah. First round talent is typically freshman and sophomore players, and a lot of it is potential based. Um, I really like this kid. I think if you pair him with an OG in the draft, maybe you know I'll talk about a, another prospect I love later on. Pair him. <laughs> um, I I would someone not be mad with at heart. It's the next <laughs> someone with heart a lot, man. Ugh. I I would not be mad if we went defense, defense, defense with these three picks, like. We have enough offense to win games. I think we, we can all Blazer fans can agree with that. There's plenty of offense to go around. What do we lack? Defense. What wins championships? Defense. So those are our prospects, you know, at 15 that we kind of, that we both liked, but we both wanted to talk about too because they've all been kind of mocked in Portland's spot. You know, John Collins, Wake Forest, uh, Justin Patton, Ike uh, Anibagu, uh, from Creighton and UCLA, respectively, and OG and and you know, boy, I I, I you know picked, I'm you picked the hard last names to pronounce, man. I feel like I'm micro-icing it all over, and I, I really apologize. Um, that's why I've been sticking just to, to OG a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I I want you to pit, talk about your man crush at uh, pick twenty. I I think you should go first in this one. Okay. I only got I only got one prospect at twenty. I want to hear why your beloved is your guy at twenty. Before I get into my pick at twenty, let's take a quick break from our our, our sponsors, and then we'll dig into who we're going to take at twenty. For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard Podcast, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Enter promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% saving. 
Loot Crate is a monthly mystery crate that delivers the best in geek and gamer gear. From collectibles, apparel, tech gadgets, art, and other epic gear. It's like Comic-Con in a box. Loot Crate is a monthly subscription box service for epic geek and gamer items. For less than $20 a month, you get 6 to 8 items that include licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique, one-of-a-kind items, and more. You have until the 19th at 9pm Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. By supporting Loot Crate, you support our podcast, Holy Backboard. Sign up at www.trylootcrate.com slash holybackboard and enter the code RIDGE10 to save 10% on any new subscription. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Dustin and Sage here breaking down uh, the upcoming NBA draft. Portland is loaded with three picks. We've already talked about four prospects who Portland could take at number 15. Now we're moving on to 20. I'm going first. This is the prospect that we have to come out of this draft with. I've never been... Every year there is a prospect that I want, I latch onto, and I'm super pissed off if we don't get him. 2012, Damian Lillard. Um, I got on the bandwagon late in, in around May, but I, I wanted Dame. 2013, it was CJ, and I'm not bullshitting any of you guys. Like this, is CJ, I love CJ, and I love Ben McLemore in that draft. Love Victor Oladipo, but I knew CJ would be around there. Needed him. We didn't have a pick in 2014, but in 2015, it was Hollis Jefferson. We had him, and I was so excited until we moved him. 2016, I know we didn't have a pick, but I fell in love with Gary Payton II from Oregon State, the defensive-minded guard who now is, has gotten a gig with the Milwaukee Bucks. This year, it is Jordan Bell, the the power forward center from from my Oregon Ducks. Uh, he's definitely older. Um, I know a lot of people are going to say he's not the home run pick. No, he's not a home run pick. He's, he's probably a single or a double. Uh, he's 22, 22 and a half years old. Sage, this guy is the ultimate defensive specialist. He's been interviewed, and he said, I don't want to be LeBron James. I don't want to be Tristan Thompson. I want to rebound. I want to put backs. I want to block shots. I want to play defense, and I'll make money doing that. We saw Tristan Thompson get maxed out. It, specialists get maxed out. Like That's what players are seeing, so they're not trying to do everything. They're not trying to play out of their skill set. But Jordan Bell, I think, for my money, is the best shot blocker in NCAA basketball. Two and a half blocks a game. Uh, he, I think, had like eight or nine uh, against Kansas. I mean, they created a Twitter account called Things Jordan Bell Could Block. He single-handedly won us that game against a more talented Kansas team. Um, he changes the tone of a game by his defense. I mean, I watched every Ducks game this year, so I'm very familiar with, with what he can do and what he can't do. And... I've learned through the draft process by scouting prospects, you need to look at what a player can do. You, you can't say, oh, he can't do this or he can't do that. A lot of players can't do things, but what can he do for your team? Jordan Bell is going to be your defensive anchor. He he reminds me a lot of Wesley Matthews in his, his mindset. Like the dude doesn't want to lose. Like he was crying. It felt like for a couple of days after that loss against North Carolina, he felt like he took that personally because he failed to block out. Every Duck fan knows we are not in that scenario without Jordan Bell. Just whether it's man-to-man or weak side, he is coming out of nowhere and just swatting these shots away. 
I mean, he's got a seven foot wingspan. So yes, he's a little undersized. I still think he's probably a power forward at the next level. You, you can get away with playing him as a small ball five because of the defense, but he's also incredibly athletic. Uh, I've, he's had a lot of poster dunks. Um, his offensive game is improving. He, he's never going to be, you know, an amazing offensive player, but when he gets space, he's got a good form in his, his free throw line extended jump shot. He's probably not going to be a back to the basket big, but again, we're, we've talked, he's a specialist. And, um, I think he's really going to rise in these, in, in this draft. That's why I had him at 20 when we were originally discussing the, these picks. I was going to say, oh, maybe let's put him out as a second round guy. Guys, we'll, we'll trade back for, well, maybe 26. You know, that, that sounds like a good spot. Right now, I wanted to talk about him at 20 because that's how high I think he could go. And because you know what you're going to get from him. And he is, he is a Jerome Kersey type. He's going to bring it every single fucking play. Like he, he's going to thrive in that locker room and he's going to enhance that. He is just that type of a character player with a very high basketball IQ. So my comparison for him, and again, this isn't based on like actual skill. It's based on mentality and attitude. I think he has the potential to be the the shot blocking version of Ken Fareed because he has a nonstop motor. He wears his heart on his sleeve. Honestly, he could potentially be a poor man's DeAndre Jordan. He's gonna protect the rim, and I know you've watched more Oregon games than me, but. He can definitely be a guy that can switch because he has feet, foot speed that you can he can switch onto a guard. He can do a lot of things. He he's another guy that will do the pick and roll. He can uh, rim run, finish lobs, and again passing. He act for as raw of a prospect as he is offensively. He can still pass the ball. So you mentioned defensively and his ability to switch the pick and roll. He absolutely can do that. Uh, he posted great numbers at the combine. Another reason why I moved him up. Uh, Draft Express said he posted a Lane Jolie time of 10.63 seconds, the third best of any power forward in their database. Uh, he uh, registered, uh, registered a 2.56 shuttle time. So he's got that, that, that fast twitch, that, that quick step that he's able to stay in front of those guards, easily stay in front of his own defender, and like you said, Sage, he, he does, he's unselfish. He wants to win over anything else. He is the type of player you don't have to pass him the ball. He'll score off of dunks. He'll score off of putbacks. He doesn't need plays ran for him. And, you know, I was actually thinking of a comparison of him, and I, I've ran through, you know, a, a better Tyrus Thomas, a bulkier Tyrus Thomas, because when Tyrus was coming out of the draft, his hype was, was incredible. Yeah, his athleticism was off the charts. He was blocking, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge in that that tournament game. Um, I thought about maybe a Ben Wallace, but he's got more athleticism than Ben. Ben's probably a better rebounder, even though Jordan Bell is an extremely great rebounder. I love the Kenneth Reed. The Kenneth Reed, the that that is a I I think you're right, a better shot blocking Kenneth Reed. And all Blazer fans, like I, Kenneth Reed was another player I wanted so bad, and then we drafted Nolan fucking Smith. And no, no offense to Nolan Smith, but everyone is pissed off when that happened. We, we, we all wanted Kenneth Reed. I think Jordan Bell brings that type of impact that an early Kenneth Reed did. And that's why, hands down, for this to be a, a successful draft night, I want Portland to walk away with, with Jordan Bell. And if we're looking at, you know, OG, maybe Ike, and then Jordan Bell, if you could somehow get those three, 
That's defense, defense, defense. It's three, four, and five. Let's fucking go. That, that, that is the prospect you love more than any other. I won't get to talk about my prospect that I love until I might fit him in at 26, but he's a second-round guy. But, yeah, he, he, he fit, checks a lot of boxes and is an Oregon guy. But I just love that nonstop motor, and I enjoy ha- having players that wear their heart on their sleeve. And he did... I mean, we talked about his, his combine numbers. He also did a lot of five-on-five five for the scouts, and um, Draft Express had a, had a write-up in that he and Frank Mason, the player of the year from from uh, Kansas, both of those guys, when they were in there, their teams were fabulous. When they went to the bench, they just collapsed. So that is another key thing when you're looking at prospects is how do they perform in five-on-five five settings, and how do their teams do when they go off the floor? It's not the ultimate comparison because Kendall Marshall, um, prospect out of North Carolina in 2012, was a great point guard, great floor vision. When he went to the bench, the, the Tar Heels completely struggled. Obviously, he didn't translate. He, you know, he was too slow. He couldn't shoot. But that's still one of the boxes I always like to check is how important are you to that team? Um, Jordan Bell's that type of guy. Uh, Sage, I've kind of fanboyed enough on Jordan. Who's your guy at 20? Or who's another guy who who Portland could be looking at at 20? I like the kid out of Texas. I'm so happy I can use the word kid to describe prospects now. But Jarrett Allen, 9 foot 2 inch standing reach. Number one, he has potential to be that anchor defensively. He isn't there yet, but whenever you watch him, you think, if he just bulked up manned up a little bit, this kid could be our anchor. He plays pick and roll well. He can potentially play uh, post-defense. He is has the potential to be the anchor. Defense, 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 that's what we need. Offensively, lob target, has length to finish well. I don't like the way he runs, but he gets the job done with straight line speed he has a kind of a hunched style of running, but the way he can play defense, the way he moves, the way he blocks shots, again, it's, I don't have the fanboy that you do of Jordan Bell, but he gets the job done on a lot of things defensively. He probably won't be the shooter or the the offensive guy, but he has some moves. He can push the shot up, has shot uh, like a soft touch around the basket and he actually has some moves to to get to his shots which is a good thing but the number one thing he he doesn't have that motor that Jordan Bell has or the toughness he has but if he can get his mind right get his ass beat a few times develop the toughness he is a potential defensive anchor that the Blazers could use and rock with because he is only 19 and I've never felt older than right now. So the good thing about Allen, you mentioned the reach. I'll talk about the wingspan, 7'5 wingspan. Apparently he's got massive hands, which you want out of a big man. And he's got, he's already got a pretty decent frame, 230 pounds. I think of Ike's pretty boomer bust, but I think you know what you're going to get defensively. I think Allen might have the highest ceiling as a two-way player. Absolutely, yeah. But 
he also kind of scares me. I think he has maybe the most bust potential of anyone we've talked about as well. I could definitely see that with if he just doesn't get with the toughness, he could definitely be that bust. But that ceiling, that defensive anchor, I think he has the highest chance of being that. In if everything up, hits. And reading about him, it seems like his team really didn't give him the ball. Uh, they, they used him extremely curiously, is what Draft Express described it. That automatically brings me back to Andre Drummond. When watching him play, you're like, there's no way this dude should be a top pick in the draft. Like, he wasn't doing anything. Like, the, obviously, the guards never passed him the ball, and he was, you know, a much better player once he, he got in the NBA and his coach utilized him. So that's another thing when looking at prospects is look at their team. Look at their their setup. Are, are they... Are they a good run program? I mean, you got. I mean, he went to Texas. Texas hasn't been relevant in ten mm. fucking years. They brought in Shaka Smart to do that, but it's not really worked out for him. But you don't knock Texas because they're shitty. Miles Turner came from Texas and is now one of the the best young prospects in, in the NBA. So that just goes to show why the draft is such a crapshoot. There's so many factors you have to take into consideration a lot of the times it honestly comes down to your gut sage and do you have it or not and thankfully neil olshay does but also thankfully for portland they need a big man there are just so many available that i mean we haven't even got down to some of the international prospects that could be available at 26 there are a lot of great bigs that could be available in the second round but portland i think definitely i think we both we all agree if we use all three picks we have to come away with, with a center. I mean, I'm not about yeah, at least drafting. one. Yeah, I'm not all about drafting for need. These guys are really best player available. What we're talking about right now in the draft. Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest knock is his toughness and potentially motor. But like, I've seen games. I think it was shit. Iowa State, where he put in the effort and looked amazing. It's just. He has to stay motivated, and that's a scary prospect when you're dealing with money. But, again, if he hits, he's going to hit hard, and that's a game changer. I mean, a lot of teams are going skill ball. But if we have two centers that are tough and can fuck you up, which teams have the potential to stop us? Yeah, it's really tough, though, when you're looking at a center especially, and you see that... They set soft screens. They're kind of, they don't have that nasty streak. Like, I think to win in the NBA and to win deep into the playoffs, you, you can't be soft. You can't be soft mentally. You can't be soft physically. You've literally got to want it more because at that point in the playoffs, you are just about as talented as the team you're playing across from. It's who's willing to want it more, who's willing to do more, um, who, who just has it in them. So, when you're looking at guys and you see like, you know, maybe mentally or physically they're, they're weak, that, that's a little bit of a red flag. So that's why Allen, I think, is definitely boom or bust. Um, but our last prospect we will we'll touch on at 20. And I've seen a lot of people, especially on the message boards, not be super excited. He's, he's not a flashy prospect, um, but I think he's going to be a guy who has a 10, 15 year career in the NBA. He's definitely a player who you're not going to be super stoked if your team drafts, but you're going to look back in a few years and be like, 
why didn't this guy go higher? And it's TJ Leaf from UCLA. Um, as mentioned, he was one of the, the three freshmen that turned that program around. I watched a lot of Bruin basketball this year, especially when they played the Ducks, but they were always on TV. And, you know, I was watching, you know, we were all watching a lot of college hoops because we were, we were playing like shit. We knew we were going to get a draft pick. We knew we had the Cleveland pick. And then all of a sudden we got the Denver pick. So all of a sudden we have these three picks. You got to watch as much college hoops as possible. Leaf was a guy I found that I continuously ended up enjoying watching him play. Um, to me, I would rather take TJ Leaf at 20 than John Collins at 15. I, I, I think Leaf and Collins are a similar prospect in the sense that both need to get stronger. Both, I don't think, are ever going to be really good defensive players. But what I like about Leaf, and in terms of their style of play, not their actual production or potential, he reminds me of a LaMarcus Aldridge-Ryan Anderson hybrid in the sense that he is going to be a stretch four in every sense of the word. He's probably not going to bang down low. He's going to like to live on the perimeter, but I think you can get away with that in today's NBA. Um, he has got a great shot. I mean, he is like, whenever I would watch Brandon Bass play and he would do the pick and pop, the David West type of players, and you knew it was going in, that's, that's TJ Leaf. So TJ Leaf really reminds me of a guy like a Nick Collison, a PJ Brown, they're not going to blow the world on fire, but they're going to be in the league for 15 fucking years. I really think this kid is going to have a long career, even as a backup. Um, so I, while he's not my top choice, he's a, a pick. If you get him, go back and, and watch his game. He, he's sneaky athletic, and I know that's a, a term given to white prospects, and I'm not saying that because he's white. I'm saying that because measurables – yeah, measurables don't blow you off the, off the charts, but you look at some of his highlights, and he had a couple of uh, SC top 10 putback dunks. Um, he is going to need to benefit from a system that's going to get him the ball. Um, you, your point guard needs to look for him, like Lonzo did at, at UCLA. Um, know his sweet spot, but he's a guy who who I think is is really going to play play well at the NBA level. His skills really translate. Um, you know, again, he's he's a freshman. He, he's 20 years old, and he, his dad played uh, overseas in Israel. He was actually born in Israel, and so he's he's got the bloodlines. I mean, he's one of a – I think he was a five-star recruit, originally committed to uh, Arizona, but he backed off that commitment once Sean Miller cut him from a USA basketball team and committed to UCLA. So he, he already knows how to play with a, a chip kind of on his shoulder. He's got a little pettiness to him, which I kind of like. So – I think if he gets strong, strength is one thing and just being able to go after it. And I think once he gets a little bit stronger, but offensively, you know what you're going to get with this kid. How many years did he play in UCLA? One. Damn. All right. One at UCLA. I mean, he doesn't have the best wingspan, but again, I'm not holding that as a negative. Um, he's about 6'10". He can. Uh, he was UCLA's leading scorer, so he averaged 16 points and eight boards. I mean, every time UCLA did something well, it was like TJ Leaf put up basically a double double. You know, Lonzo got the hype because you know six seven point guard and uh, just flashy and floor vision like none other. But TJ Leaf was that rock for them. When they did well, he did well, and he shot an incredible percentage from the two point. Like he was a 65% field goal percentage shooter. Uh, he shot 47% from deep. He didn't take a lot. And I know the college range is a little bit closer, but 
that's where I kind of get the Ryan Anderson comparison from. So he's not going to be as lethal as Rhino, but I think he's going to be um, in that sort of vein, like where he's going to shoot on the perimeter. He's going to stretch the floor. You already have Nurkic down low, so you need that guy. That's what, I mean, if Neil O'Shea and Terry Stotts had an exit interview with, with Noah Vonley, the number one thing they said outside of being just more nasty is, we need you to start hitting a mid-range shot. Like, you got to sp- spread the floor. TJ Leaf is your guy if, if you're looking to get that done. It's definitely substance above style. And you know what? I agree with you on the, he's going to be a vet. He's going to be in the league. He just, it's just not the the sexiest move you could have said. But again, he, he's going to be a successful basketball player and his own version of success. So I'm, I, 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 I like that pick. Of course, would I rather have Jordan Bell? Yeah, I like him. I rode with him. I love the stat. I love the, the tenacity, the, the motor, the willingness to win. Yeah, but that dude's going to be in there. He's going to be a, in the league. And you know what? We've missed on some picks as well as hit on them. So a guy that's going to be in the league, it's pretty a, a nice thing to have. So, yeah. So I think that about covers it for, for 15 and 20. We'll come back later this week. We'll talk about who we want to trade up for, who we want at 26. Uh, but before we sign off, I want to answer long story longer's question. Sage, she wants to know, what should I drink while I wait for the draft results? What, what's your go-to drink on draft night? See, I've only gotten drunk twice. You know what? I would go. I would go with your consistent drink for the first one, and then with twenty and twenty six, fuck it. Pick something fruity. Pick something that you don't drink much, just because this is gonna be a wild ride with these last two picks. If something happens, you know, drink something that you normally don't fuck with, and it will be a pretty crazy night. It's going to be a nerve-wracking night for me. It's probably one of my favorite nights of the year, favorite times of the year. I love draft night more than most. Um, I'll probably have a whiskey by my side. What about yourself, bud? I've been trying not to drink, but I might I might bust it out this uh, for this draft. I, I don't know, man. It's it's just if it's if I'm not in PDX, man, I'm by myself just Looking at the picks, I know we're going to have to have a podcast directly after it, so I don't want to get too buck, but, you know, I might drink a little, but it, it's all about concentrating on who we get, you know, what happens, what's the talking points for the next, for the pod right after the podcast. So I'm not going to get too buck, but I hope Long Story Longer does. Yeah, maybe maybe a little whiskey, maybe some some kombucha. Keep it a little healthy. Get those probiotics flowing. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a long, eventful night, but it'll be fun. Uh, so Sage, great podcast again. I love coming out with that draft content. Uh, if you like listening to this, uh, give us that five star rating. Um, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. We are also available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play at Holy Backboard PDX. Uh, you can also find us on social. Insta, Facebook, and Twitter at Holy Backboard. Sage, any final thoughts? 
follow Sage Digital on Twitter. That's Sage underscore digital. I'm trying to get my plug game up. Uh, the Evan M Show is back. We had our first episode, season two of the Evan M Show, and it had the lovely, the talented, the very funny Neela Madison. And look, be on the lookout for more Sage Digital content. We are coming hard this this summer with the content. Got the Holy Backboard, our journey. Hopefully, Evan M, more podcasts. Again, yo, Sage Digital, Sage underscore digital on Twitter. And follow the, the the IG, follow the Facebook page, holy the Holy Backboard page. Just follow everything we do. It's going to be a fun ride. I mean, I can't say any better than that. Follow my man's podcast. That he's putting out some heat. He's putting out some heat for Holy Backboard. Sage, until next time, let's go Trailblazers. Let's go!